Good morning. Thank you so much for the beautiful music from Brother Ruben Capistrano. The, uh, his talent is our blessing. And he has blessed himself when he begins to share his blessings, which everyone should do. Whatever blessings you have and talents you have, share them. Thank you once more, Brother Ruben Capistrano. May God multiply your talents abundantly. God bless. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we have a special burden in our hearts, and we, you taught us, you taught the disciples how to pray, and when to pray, and what to pray for. So at this junction, Lord, we'd like to pray because we are asking for special wisdom from God, to understand the deep things of God, which are actually portrayed in very simple words, but when we begin to understand, as taught by the Scriptures and the Holy Word and the Holy Spirit, we begin to see deep things of God. That is what we want to learn. That is what David, that is what Daniel and his three Hebrew friends prayed for, and they received it. So we ask, Lord, that you humble our hearts, that the High and Holy One who inhabits eternity is willing to teach is willing to revive the spirit of the humble and the contrite ones. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayer. And I pray, too, for those who are suffering today, those who are recovering. We pray for everyone in the whole world who may be seeking for your truth, that they may find it before it's too late. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome back. And we'd like to thank... Let me tell you, we need to thank certain people for these things that we are doing. People that have been appointed to assist in this work. You and everybody else around this ministry and the church ministry, we're all joined to those who are sharing the truths of the third angel's message of Revelation and have the burden of souls. Our burden is not our own selves, but the souls of others, because God has placed it upon us, and it's not a burden. It is a joy. It's not that kind of joy that people experience when they're enjoying the things of this earth, but that solemn joy that is upon the hearts of those who are co-laborers with God in this work of proclaiming the last warning messages as well as the promises of God. And this week, I've been looking at two familiar verses that are found in the Gospels. One of that is John 3.16, which is, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then also that passage in John 14, verses 1 to 3, which I know almost all Christians of every stripe and persuasion in the Christian world knows by heart. And that is, you know, when he said, which is so appropriate now, when we pick up from verse 1, it says, let not your heart be troubled. Well, the world is in a troubled state right now, so it's very pertinent. But we need to study this. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then it says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
Then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, I will beg you to analyze this passage, but not only those specific words, but the verses prior to and after, and you will see there is a discussion that takes place and a context in which Jesus made these momentous words that they may apply to us today, but not only to us. It applied to the disciples then and to the disciples who will yet follow Christ in the days to come, in the final days of this earth's history. So that led me to a profound, a deep uh, soul searching. I says to myself, you know, do I really know what Jesus meant when he said this? And to my surprise, I did not fully understand that. I did to a certain extent, but more study and more prayerful study of God's Word and a pleading to teach me, Lord, how to study your Word. In our past study sermons, we had a, a whole study to talk about why we should study God's Word. And so we will open up this study, this series, with, a, with really the mandate how to study God's Word. Now, here are some of the most important points. There are many others, but I'm summoning just a couple of them, which we will be covering in the next couple of sermon studies that we will be doing together. And one of that, basically, the first of all of that is to ask. When the prophets and the patriarchs and God's holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God and speak the Word of God. They presaged this just like Daniel by asking. Solomon asked and he received. Daniel asked and he received. And we are told to do the same thing. Now, let me invite you to turn your Bibles. And you must do this. Okay, let us be Bereans. The last day Bereans who not only had an open mind and willing to listen, but they also did their homework. They went back home, they opened the Word of God and the Scriptures, and they verified, it says in the book of Acts 17, 11, whether those things were so. That's part of how to study the Bible. So the injunction we have here, which I received by studying God's Word, so not, not my own words, not my own thoughts. And you will see it as we, you yourself examine and sink the shaft of investigation deeper into the mind of truth, which is the Word of God. Do not in any way try to control, manipulate, or even attempt to purchase the Holy Spirit and its power. And are you saying, what are you saying? It's written. Simon Mangus in the time of the apostles was trying to purchase the powers of the Holy Spirit from the disciples and the apostles. Don't ever do that. Rather, 
That is a fatal mistake, by the way. Rather, let us allow the Holy Spirit to control our minds and our hearts, specifically our conscience. So this is in line with our study on the liberty and the freedom of the conscience to worship God according to the dictates of the conscience. This is front and center and a core for our st ongoing study. Then when you ask, when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we must allow him to do his appointed work. Right? Both in our hearts and in our minds. And like I said, like we have been studying specifically upon our conscience. And as we go through these verses on how to study, you will find that this will come in right into the whole picture. We didn't have to add it or take away from it. It is part of it. So we know we are right on track. Okay, then let him do his appointed work that is from the start to the finish of every study. And here we are. We need to persistently plead as the verses we're going to first consider. Persistently plead, not merely pray. Uh, there's a difference between the two, as you will see. Pray for what? We pray for so many things, and we should. We are told to express and tell God our needs and desires and wants. That's communicating with God. He, he said so. So it is written. It is a thus saith Lord. However, in this instance, we must pray for something very specific. And this gift is the greatest and the most important and the highest gift that Jesus himself could ask the Father to give to his disciples before he left them. Do you know what it is? We ask for so many things, but I think we're guilty of not asking for this greatest of gifts that Jesus solicited from the Father, which he promised his disciples. And they were not really paying attention, as you will see as we go through this study, like today. So we need to search our hearts and examine whether we are really in the faith of God's word. And this opening chapter series, this series will show us that we probably do not yet know how to study God's word. So Jesus solicited a very special gift, the most special one, the most, the highest and the greatest, uh, that he says, you know, he will take my place. He will take my place. He will give the power that I have, the wisdom that I have, the gifts that I have to you. And not only once, but through all time, where he says that, and I will be with you throughout the end of the world. Well, the world hasn't yet ended. God, Jesus has ascended. So the ends of the earth means then and now until Christ shall return. And that's why this is such a special gift. It is not only that gift to replace him, or to take his place, but in fact, his actual personal presence. When he ascended to his father to perform, of course, as we will need to understand John 
14, 1, 2, 3, to prepare a place. It says to perform. What did Christ do? He went, not just to sit on a throne beside the Father, but he was going to perform his last and closing work in the office as, you know this now, as the merciful high priest, the advocate, the mediator, the intercessor, the, the, the judge of all the earth, before he can even return, not as a priest, didn't come like the Messiah, but to come then in all his glory as the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods with all his power and all his glory that he had before he incarnated and only at that time. So let's look at this verse, body of verses, and I will encourage you always now from here on, you open God's word. Open God's word, read it for yourself. Even as in eating, you don't ask somebody to eat for you, you eat the food yourself, okay? You prepare it, put it into your mouth, you eat it. So let's turn to Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. And I want you to turn your Bibles, please. I, I'm pleading now, okay? Luke 13, verses 1 to 13. And right off, you can write this on, on your notes. You compare this Matthew 6, 6 to 13. Why? Because when we often refer to the Lord's Prayer, we are actually referring to Matthew 6, 6 to 13. But we didn't visit the other, uh, uh, the other gospel writer, Luke, when he also wrote about this. But there was an added element to that, which is key to what we're doing right now on how to study the Bible. Right, so let's let's begin. Luke, uh, I'd like to just make this very plain, okay? Because when we talk about Lord's Prayer, we use the term because everybody else does that. In fact, there, there's beautiful uh, music that we all know by heart. We love it. We can do uh, different arrangements on that, but it never changes the message. It's beautiful. The Lord's Prayer says, Our Father who art in heaven, but when you look at what and how this came about in the record of the scriptures, it was not the Lord's Prayer. It is supposed to be our prayer because this was in reply to the request and the disciples says, teach us how to pray. And Jesus then said, this is how you are to pray. Okay, I want you to remember that. Now let's turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. Look at what it says here. Chapter 1, and it came, verse 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying, look at that, it was Jesus who was praying in a certain place. That place is not identified, but it was a place. When he ceased, when he was done, one of his disciples, not identified here, but one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. And added, as John also taught his disciples. So he had a model to compare to. But apparently, that type of prayer of John was not enough for him. And it is true. He had to turn to the one that John introduced as one who would take away the sins of the world, the greater one. 
And verse 2 says, and, and he, he said unto them, not just to the disciples, that one disciple, but to them in verse 2. And he said unto them, when you pray, you see that now? Say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now I want to take a special note here. The rest of this verse is very similar to that recorded in Matthew 6. 1 to 13, but does not include for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's not here in this passage. Rather, this is what follows. So you now go to verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight? That's an unholy hour. <laughs> and say unto you, to him, friend, yeah, this is a friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Verse 6 says, For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him, nothing to feed him at this late hour of the night. And verse 7, And he from within his house shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise. That is, I want to disturb my sleeping babies and give them whatever you are seeking, three loaves of bread. And But in verse 8, Jesus said, Jesus, this is what Jesus said, I say unto you, right, listen up, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, that's not the reason why he will be, you know, he will be wheeled out of his comfortable position because of the friendship that they shared. He says, that is very powerful, okay? But that's not it, he says. Yet because of his importunity. Now, the word importunity there is persistence. And that is the difference between a persistent prayer and just an ordinary prayer. This is petitioning. This is persisting. It's not really insisting, but persisting. Because insisting may be insolence. But here this is a spiritual persistence. Remember Jacob? When he struggled in the brook of, Je of Jabbok, thinking that the one he was struggling with was an enemy? When that that person who really was Christ himself, touching up the heap and it was dislocated. Then he knew who he was struggling with. It was God himself in the flesh. And what did he say towards the break of day? They had struggled through the whole night. Struggled through the whole night. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. He persisted and the answer came. Because you have been persisting and you said, I will not let you go till you bless me. Your name will be changed from Jacob the supplanter to I. Oh, his name was Israel, one who have obtained, you know, victory with God and man. That's how it was. The change of name indicated the change of viewpoint and understanding of this wanting to hang on to the promise that God has given. It's not just taken for granted. Well, I'm promised. 
he persisted. And this is the same thing we're going to look at now, that insistence, that persistence. Yet because of his importunity, his friend will rise and give him as many as he needs. Isn't that wonderful? And then in verse 1, verse 9, what did Jesus say? And I say unto you, those who are asking me how to pray, that is, okay? If you're not asking that question, then apparently this doesn't, isn't, this isn't the answer you want to hear. But to those who know how to pray, Jesus said, mark these three words. It indicates the kind of persistence that we should have. It says, ask, and only then shall it be given. It's not automatically given. You have to ask for it. And then second says, he didn't even stop there. He says, seek, and then you shall find. And didn't even stop right there. Ask and seek. He says, knock, and then it shall be opened unto you. Now, Jesus made this even more imperative by giving illustrations at the time to fathers. And remember, the family bond at those times were very, very close, and they should be right now. What did Jesus say in verse 10? For everyone, that's not the, that's the Jews or the Greek or the Gentiles, everyone, everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Here's the illustration. If a son ask bread of any of you that is a father, will that father give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for that fish give him a serpent? Verse 12 says, or if, if he, that son, shall ask an egg, will the father offer him a scorpion? Well, at that point, I think those people who were listening, the disciples then, especially the one that asked teachers how to pray, had all his ears focused now. The readers were all focused. And that's the way we should be knowing how to study God's word, friends. Even just at this passage. And there's much more coming up. So hang on. Okay, keep connected. In verse 13, now Jesus then caps this when he says, remember, the question was how to pray. Matthew 6 doesn't include it. That Luke, that's why it's called the synoptic gospels. You need to study them, not just one, but all of the synoptic, synoptic gospels. Verse 13, then Jesus said to them that were asking, to that disciples, if you then being evil, the word here is not an accusation of being evil people, but it says you as evil, that word there is as sinners, and we're all sinners, for all have come short of the, of the glory of God. Right, all of us are sinners. If you then being sinners know how to give good gifts, notice that word there, gifts, unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father, that's why that's to whom we should pray to, not to anybody else, but in the name of the only one by which we can come to the Father, which is to the Son, how much more shall your heavenly Father give what now? Remember the gift? The Holy Spirit 
to whom? To them that ask, seek, and knock for him. I hope that that truth now begins to settle in because I, I really believe after all these years of research and sharing this truth and learning and unlearning in the process of growth and spiritual maturity, I have found that many times when we enter into a study, Bible study, we pray. Many people don't. They just assume that God will teach them. And that's why they end up with all kinds of different interpretations. If there was only one spirit that taught holy men of God as they were moved to write and speak the word, then there can only be one conclusion because there's only one Holy Spirit. But why is it that there are so many different, even conflicting interpretations? Because we don't ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit before we enter into the audience chamber with God, right? So my question is, now you ask yourself, I ask myself this thing, and I'm, I'm with you, we're on the same boat. When we pray, our long prayers, remember we studied some time ago, there's these short emergency prayers, as, you know, when at that instant something's going to happen, you just say, Lord, save me. That's a prayer. But for those long prayer petitions, for special needs and special requests, you, you know what they are for yourself. Do we ever follow what Jesus taught his disciples? We call ourselves as the disciples of Christ. That means disipolos. That's the Greek for students or learners in the school of Christ. Do we follow that? Do we even consider that? Did we ever examine these verses as recorded by, by the way, this is Luke the physician versus Matthew the tax collector, all right? These are two different accounts referring to the same uh, passage or the same passages of how Jesus answered that question on how to pray. Now, if not, you know what Paul says in Romans 13, 11 to 13? It's about time that we did. For us, Paul says, now is the time uh, our, our, for our salvation is much nearer than we first believed. That's, that's the same belief here. That if we believed that before, we need to know more on how to pray, the science of answered prayer. We must be more insistent and more persistent, not simply because of our feelings, but because we're guided by the Holy Spirit and his word. And you know why? Because now is our salvation nearer than we first believed. And now is the promised outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit in latter rain, as promised and prophesied. It's much nearer than it was when it was first prophesied. And we need to understand what this power will be and what it is for and who will receive them. That's why the key word there is prepare. You see how this all ties in when we're going to look at John 14 verses 1 to 3, to prepare. The Holy Spirit had to be prepared for by way of prophecy and actual spiritual and physical preparation. Former rain and the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. 
and we are approaching that designated time. There's no specific prophetic time, but it's nearer than we first believed and nearer when God said so to the prophets and to the apostles. Why? That's why we have the signs of the times to look at. We don't try to interpret prophecy or the word of God by the viewpoint of current events. It should be the exact opposite because God saw the end from the beginning and prophecy reveals what is coming. We should study the current events and interpret it according to the prophecies that God revealed regarding those times and places. So I want you and I now to turn um, to John 14, 16 to 18, and I'll give you the verses as we move along, specifically on what Jesus said. It is a thus it, Lord, regarding this greatest of all gifts that he could give to his own people who would carry forward the work that he began to this earth. His work was not finished. His part of the work was finished as to, to fulfill the promise, the covenant he made with the Father to be the propitiation, to be the substitute, to have his blood shed as an indication that a life had to be forfeited because of sin. That's the wages of sin is death. But he as the sinless savior, took our part. That's the substitution that took place. And the blood had to be obtained because without the shedding of blood, you know that, there can be no remission of sin. So the actual sacrifice of the lamb was not enough. The killing of the lamb as a sacrifice was not enough. It was in order to also obtain the blood. The blood was for the cleansing. The death was substitutionary. So that we'll have to go into that and understand the system of sacrifices, what they pointed to. Definitely, they pointed to Christ who was to be the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world on, on Calvary. So let's turn now to John chapter 14, 16 to 18, 26, 16, and then verses 4 to 14. These are body of verses that you cannot skip. If you do that, you will miss the boat and your journey is lost. You've lost your way. The Holy Spirit is to lead us all the way. All right, let's turn now to John 14, starting with verse 16. If you found it, I'm going to begin to read through this. Verse 16 says, Jesus said, I will pray. You notice that now? Prayer. He didn't just say, please do this. He prayed to the Father. He says, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, and how is this comforter addressed here? I want you to underline this. He is called the Spirit of Truth, Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. In other words, he's invisible, isn't it? It's not by faith. People walk by sight, not by faith. But here it says, the world cannot receive this Spirit of Truth. Therefore, what is it receiving? the spirit of error, the spirit of lies. That's what you're going to be reading right here. 
The world cannot perceive it because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him. They cannot see him and they cannot know him. They're lost. But what did Jesus say? But you, you know him. Why? Because this invisible spirit of truth whom I will send and I will pray to the Father to send to you, he shall be one who's going to take my place. You're comforted now by my presence, but I'm going somewhere. But I'm not going to leave you uh, as orphans. I'm going to send you another comforter. He says, the spirit of truth. Oh, he says, he, you know him. As much as you know me, you should know him. And as much as you know me, you should know the Father. That's another topic we're going to be covering today, somewhere now. It says, you know him because he dwells with you. And I like the next one following. It's not only with, but in you. Now, there's a difference between being with. He's on the outside. But the following one is just a very small word, just two letters, in you. Now, remember what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 16 and 17, after discussing that uh, wisdom and mystery that has been withheld from angels and for generations and ages is finally revealed in our time. And what is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Think about that. Is Christ in you? Christ can only be in us if we have the spirit of truth abiding in us. In verse 18, there you go. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And here we know how he comes to us. Through the Holy Spirit, the other comforter. And then in verse 26, we skip a couple of verses and go forward to verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that's the King James Version, or the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So do you know how to pray now? We don't pray to the, to the Son or pray to the Holy Spirit, but we pray to the Father in the name of Christ. We already covered this earlier. He says, he will send in my name. What shall he do? He shall teach you all things and bring all things into remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the education process was no by means finished. What Jesus laid down as the groundwork for the truth would be expanded and magnified on by the work of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And if less they forget those principles, the Holy Spirit would bring them to remembrance. So, so let's transfer to John chapter 16, verses 4 to 14. Next verses. It says there, John 16, beginning with verse 4. And he says, and these things have I told you. What are those things that he said I told you? You need to read the previous verses. We won't have time and space right now, but you need to know what they are, to know that for yourself what he said, these things that I have told you, that when the time comes, so that was a preparatory uh, reminder, so that when the time shall come, you may remember what I told you of them, 
And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. What you heard me saying then would be amplified and explained and brought to remembrance by the work of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 5, now he says this, But now I go my way to him that sent me. So when you're looking at John 14, 1 to 3, remember this. Connect these two verses. This is how to study. And none of you, look at this, none of you asks me, whither goest thou? None of them were interested in asking Jesus where he was going. But Jesus made sure to call their attention to this lack of interest because he already told them earlier in John 14, verses 1 to 4, I will go to prepare a place for you. Then in verse 6, look at verse 6 says, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Well, you read the verses prior to this, and you'll find that the sorrow is legitimate because there's persecution. Where Jesus said this. Then in verse 7, and we're kind of going to rhyme this wind up at this certain section of the Word of God. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He himself, the way, the truth, and the life said, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Then says, we're all consistent. I will tell you the truth. It is expedient or necessary that I have to go away. I, I have to go away because if I do not go away, and you should ask the question, where are you going? The Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, that means go away to where? Then I will send him unto you. You see, make, make this clear in your mind. Christ and the Comforter could not be on the earth at the same time. But one of them would always be with his disciples, one following another, revealing an order, revealing a plan, Revealing a continuity, continuity. And so verse 8, we're going to wind this up a little bit. Follow me in the word of God. And when he is come, he will reprove, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my father and you, and you will see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is already judged. And in verse 12, and I'm going to end it right there, to show you that even his disciples stand, we're not ready for certain things. Verse 12 says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot hear them now. Jesus knew exactly what the condition of the minds and hearts and spiritual maturity of his disciples were, and he wouldn't tell them or divulge any of them ahead of its time. Everything had to be done in his time and in, in each time. So as we wind up this little discussion and study we had on how to study God's word based on some very familiar verses, my prayer is that we will learn to pray now. Persistently pray. Ask, seek, and knock for the Holy Spirit lest we misinterpret the word of God and allow man instead of the Holy Spirit of truth to teach us. That is my prayer, that is my invitation, that is my challenge to you and me, which God brought forth to me in, in silent prayer, in silent, and I had to consult him to this week. 
So let's bow our heads and pray. Father in heaven, help us now to change the order and the way we ask for, for things, whatever they are, and to understand that God, in His wisdom, has told us, told His disciples, this is the greatest gift I can ask the Father to give to you. But you have to ask, seek, and knock for it. It won't come automatically. Lord, forget, forgive us for our lack of wisdom and for lack of faith and our unbelief. Help us, Lord. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.